England, you love them or you hate them. They are very polarizing. This is the furthest they have gone on since 1990, making it to the semifinals. They've gotten further along than what we've seen from past teams that had a lot of very recognizable talent, the, the David Beckhams of the world. Join us now to talk all things World Cup. It is Stephen Caldwell, our TSN soccer analyst. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, damn it, he's not here right now. Uh, you know what? That's on me. I should have been looking up at the glass where Keith Bauer was shaking his head. And you know what? I was doing a pretty good intro. All right, as we get him on, I will give you guys a couple other little notes. And again, Matthew Koz here for Toronto Today on TSN 1050. Uh, Milos Ronic, as I think most people know, has advanced on to the quarterfinals. He'll be taking on John Eisner, who is ranked ninth in the world. And as I'm sure most people know, Milos is 13th. That match will happen on Wednesday. So Milos Ronic, again, winning just a little bit earlier today as he defeated Mackenzie McDonald. So John Eisner. Eisner on Wednesday, and when you consider just you know the tough things with Jeannie Bouchard, it is great for Canada to have Milos Ronic out there. What he's doing, also on the roads. I said this off at the top of the show, and it's still going on. Be careful if you are driving on the 407 near Brock Road in Pickering. Westbound, all lanes are blocked off for an inv- a police investigation. There has been a single fatality on the 407 westbound. So if you're on the eastbound, expect traffic to be a bit slower. If you're in that area and you are traveling west, obviously you're going to have to take alternative routes. Those routes will be a little bit busier today. Now joining us but I can't give my brilliant introduction. I did it once, and that's as far as I can do. But Stephen Caldwell, we will allow him to bring his brilliance to this segment, our TSN soccer, our TSN World Cup analyst. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. And here's what I'll say about the World Cup. Um, I'm someone who uh, is definitely a neophyte when it comes to soccer. I always have been, and it's nothing against any sport. I believe if you like everything, you love nothing. There's only 24 hours in a day. You know, you can't get into everything. But the best thing I can say about this World Cup is that I always now at least have it on TV. It's always on the background when it's on, and it's certainly drawing my attention more than it has in the past. Uh, People have talked about how great this tournament has been so far. I'm curious for you, what has been your, uh, your couple favorite moments so far? Oh, a tough one to answer a favourite moments. There's been so many, and I think that the best way to answer for me is it's probably been the best World Cup that, that I can remember that I've actually watched. I was sort of about nine years old for 1990 in Italy, and I can slightly remember some of that. And I really, the, the first sort of World Cup for me was 94 in the United States, and uh, you know, I was trying to stay up every single night in the UK at 12. 12 o'clock in the evening and, and you know falling asleep to the second half of certain games so that was a, a great experience and I just think this has surpassed that surpassed anything that I've seen in my lifetime with the quality of football the dramatic stories you know it began even before the tournament with Lopetegui you know sensationally leaving his job or being being relieved of his job I should say with the Spain national team yep. um, at the start of the tournament just unheralded never knowing something like that to happen before and then a magnificent match between Spain and Portugal was a real uh, you know, set up for the first sort of big match was 
high scoring and high quality. And, and Ronaldo, Ronaldo trick, with the hat trick in that. Exactly, yeah. Ronaldo's hat trick will long be remembered. So I think that every tournament starts to have a trend, and I think the early games are a big part of that. And obviously, the early games of this tournament, the group stage, was fantastic. Then four years ago in Brazil, we saw a drop off in sort of goals and, and maybe free flowing football in the knockout stages. But for this one in Russia, when we got to the knockout, the first game yet again was a great match between France and Argentina. I think it ended in a 4-2 to, to France. And that was a, a fantastic football match. And then again, it just got took through the whole group stage with drama all round, some penalty shootouts, some fantastic matches. And, and now we're down to the final four and it's been... It's been the best World Cup in my memory and possibly of all time. Let me ask you this, Stephen. We're again joined by Stephen Caldwell, soccer analyst for TSN. Um, before the tournament started, you had no Spa- or no Italy. You had no United States. And you know, a lot of people were talking about how that could maybe affect just the, the level of excitement. So to go from that and from Lionel Messi not having you know, the tournament he would want. So you throw all those factors in, and yet here we are today talking about how great this tournament is. Are you at all shocked that on July 9th, that's your statement about this tournament? Uh, I'm not, actually. I mean, I didn't think it would be this good, but it's really a victory for, for team football. That's what I'm so pleased about. It's, it's not really been... I mean, we just spoke about Ronaldo's hat-trick, and, of course, Messi had a wonderful moment against Nigeria, and, and all the superstars have, have had a, a moment or two. But it's really been a, a tournament for team football. Uh, we saw Sweden with terrific performance and real togetherness. We had some surprise performances. I think Senegal were fantastic African side, really unlucky going out on you know cautions. It's cut to that stage again. Another dramatic factor of this World Cup, unprecedented. You know that a team leaves the tournament on caution accumulation. We've never seen that before. And were terrific. They almost toppled the mighty Belgium, who could indeed go on and win the tournament. They're just losing that late goal, uh, almost taking the game to extra time after being 2-0 up. So for me, that's what I'll remember. The, the fact that in, in football or in international football, we saw the re-emergence of, of good quality uh, sides who are organised and difficult to beat. And, and again, the positivity was there where it wasn't just defending and, you know, 11 men behind the ball trying to get a draw and take it to penalties. Mm-hmm. It was defending with a purpose to then move forward and, and try and you know, counter-attack and score goals. So that's what I'll take from, from this one. Let's go through the uh, two semi-final matches, both that you can hear right here on TSN 1050. First up, France-Belgium. 1.30 pregame on Tuesday. 2 p.m. start. On one side, France. They blanked Uruguay 2-0. Did a great job against Suarez. On the other side, Belgium got two goals to defeat Brazil 2-1, and Brazil had only conceded one goal in the first four games. Of course, Belgium will be out with uh, Thomas Minier, one of their top defenders. Um, in your mind, how do you see this playing out? Uh, great game. I think it's probably the pick of the two semifinals on, on sheer quality. Uh, let's take France first and foremost. Really controlled performance, a lot of quality. Every side of their game was working extremely well against Uruguay, and they just you know, kept Uruguay to absolutely zero opportunities and, and dominated the possession of the ball and showed that they're a very, very good side. They have the, the pace and, and, and flair of Mbappe in the wide areas, the youthful exuberance of him. And then Griezmann was finding a bit more space. Pogba looks fantastic alongside Kante. And I thought Varane and were us at the back as well. So to me, France are, are just favourites. Belgium came off a, a tactical masterclass from... 
my old coach Roberto Martinez against Brazil where did some really unique things, played De Bruyne much higher than we've seen him as a sort of inverted false number nine as we call it in football and, and put Lukaku and Hazard who were predominantly the central strikers in previous games in wide areas that really you know, gave Brazil all sorts of problems in the counter-attack. As soon as they won the ball it was either into De Bruyne in that difficult little area where it was hard to pick him up or wide to the quality of Hazard and Lukaku to run at the, the Brazilian defence and the damage was done in the first half. They scored the goals. Then they showed us that they have grit and determination to to defend well with uh, Vertonghen and company and Alderweireld at the back there. So a fantastic side as well. I'm expecting a tremendous matchup. I don't think either side knows how to play cautious defensive football. So that's exciting for the neutral or for the football fan who wants to just see you know a, a free flowing game and, and two sides going at each other to try to you know win a place in the final in, in Moscow on July 15th. So, Stephen, if Belgium versus France represents the more collective level of quality or talent, is England versus Croatia, which is Wednesday, again, 2 p.m. start right here on TSN 1050, does that one represent the better story just because of England getting this far for the first time since 1990? We know they haven't won, obviously, since 1966. Is England versus Croatia the better story of the two matches? Well, I think it's a remarkable story and first and foremost from England's point of view, I think coming into this tournament with zero expectations, you know, the youngest side that they've put to major tournament in so many years and and really a, a sort of inexperienced national team coach and a man who was only given the job because of the scandal for Sam Allardyce and was sort of thought of as an uninspiring option for the English national team. And, I mean, what a job he's done. I can't speak highly enough the way that he's dealt with the media, the way that he's set up this young team, the way that he's made big decisions leading into the tournament to, you know, discard a Wayne Rooney or, or even a Joe Hart not to pick him in the squad and, and really go for that youth to try and build and, and bring together that club mentality that, that, that we get with an Iceland and a Sweden. And we're starting to see it more and more at international level where... There's, there's less of the divisions that we saw with England in previous years between you know Manchester United, Manchester City and, and Liverpool and Manchester United and these different things where these guys didn't, maybe they had more talent than this group of players but they didn't gel as well as, as this group has and I think Gareth Southgate has to get all the credit for that and then on the field we've started to see a team who are believing more and more every game, they're playing you know a, a very positive, distinct style again, they're not worried about what happens going back the way they're taking the ball forward they're trying to you know possess the ball and be controlled in possession John Stones has been tremendous at the back so much composure the Man City defender to just start all the attacks Harry Maguire on the left hand side has, has been a revelation again question marks whether he was ready for this level of international football but he's came through it with flying colours and his career is going to go from strength to strength and you have the captain and the probably the best striker in the entire tournament and Harry Kane up front I think his six goals speak for themselves but it's more than that it's his leadership qualities it's the way that he brings other people into the game it's his never say die attitude that make England a tremendous story and they'll be hard to beat and they're playing against the Croatia side who of all that experience the golden generation of players bringing in a little bit of youth but any midfield with Rakitic and Modric and potentially Brozovic and Kovacic and 
all the names that we can go through. By the way, good, good for you. Sorry to interrupt, Stephen Cole. Good for you because I would not attempt to pronounce half these names because I am a coward. <laughs> you, on the other hand, you go head first into it. Good on you, sir. Oh, I have to. I've said them so many times. That they're, they're like my family now, these guys. It feels like that long a month. But, no, they're a tremendous side, and it's going to be a very exciting match. And I just make the, the winners of France... Uh, Belgium favourites for the final but don't rule out Croatia or England this is evenly matched I think the fact they're all European really comes into play they know each other they're, you know a number of club mates and different relationships throughout the four teams so great stories coming our way and, and hopefully two great matches where both sides again show positive football go at each other and try and win the game rather than not lose it. Stephen, I'll, I'll leave you with this question. Again, Stephen Caldwell, TSN Soccer Analyst, joining us here on Toronto Today. Um, the one pushback I've heard about England is they've had maybe the easiest draw in terms of opponents and then, you know, injuries. Uh, you know, when they face Colombia, they didn't have to face a full squad. Has England had the easiest road of the four teams left here in the World Cup? Great question. Um, I think you have to answer that with yes. I would say that, that Brazil were going along in quite an easy group. They obviously lost to Belgium. Belgium had a very similar road to England, playing Japan in the last 16. So I think England and Belgium probably easier than, than Croatia and France. But it doesn't matter at this point, Matt, how you got here. It, it matters where you are physically as a team. Is there any injuries? Mentally as a team, are you ready? Are you confident? You know, are you up for the match-up? And I think that we can say that all four teams have improved as the tournaments went on. They're absolutely ready. They've came through different paths, different challenges to get here, but they'll all feel very, very confident that they can, you know, get through the semi-finals and, and obviously win the World Cup just because when you get to semi-final, you're just competition ready and, uh, you know, you feel like your name's on the cup at this point. Stephen, always a pleasure having you on the show. Safe drive wherever you're going right now and uh, hopefully we get to chat with you soon and enjoy the semi-finals on Tuesday and Wednesday, sir. Thanks, Matt. Talk soon. Take care. That is Stephen Caldwell, TSN Soccer Analyst. France versus Belgium, 2 p.m. start right here on TSN 1050. Wednesday, it is Croatia versus England. England, the second youngest team in the whole tournament. Croatia's going to be a little bit tired. They've played a lot of extra time, uh, certainly far more soccer compared to England. That's Wednesday at 2 p.m. Both matches with the pregame with Gareth Wheeler starting at 1.30. I started off the top of the show talking about summer. And there's two themes here. One is about the Maple Leafs. The other is about cottages. The cottage one is a simple one. What do you love most about being at your cottage? Also, what do you hate the most about people who have them? Tyler writes in, and you can tweet me at mcos56. What I love about cottages is the fact that I have one. Also love drinking while floating in the water. And I also enjoy your D-bag cottage photos, which I do a lot of. That is true. I tweet out lots of sunset pics, and there's me holding a glass of wine, or, you know, I try to do it in a variety of different ways because, uh, you know, I'm a jerk. Nathan writes in, what I don't like about people with cottages, they have one and I don't. That's true. Now, Nathan, if I can make it feel, make you feel any better. There's a lot of work. They're expensive. You've got more taxes on you. Gas is more expensive for a boat. I know these are all first world problems, but there is a lot of work. 
So, you know, there is some drawbacks. And again, the biggest thing people are complaining about is that us we get out early on Fridays and we don't have to use any of our vacation time. Blake writes in, people of cottages acting like they're the best places on planet Earth. Oh yeah, that is a great reason to hate the people like us that have cottages. I'd put that there at the top of the list. Man, we can be jerks about that. MCOS56 is where if you want to hit me up on Twitter. What do you love about them? And also, what do you hate about people like me who own cottages? Sticking with the summer theme. The Maple Leafs, they have a lot to do this summer. I mean, they already did the one big one. They got John Tavares. So they did something that hasn't happened since Niedermeyer, since Zidane Chara, where you were able to woo the big-time free agent who isn't 34 years old. But now, because of Tavares, this sets off a bit of a chain reaction. You have got, and by you I mean Kyle Dubas, the general manager, Brandon Brandon Shanahan, salary capologist Brandon Pridham, all you guys find a way to lock up Mitch Martin and Austin Matthews. And I know I'm jumping ahead because the first move is William Nylander. He's an RFA. Obviously, you've got to get that done. You have got to sign Marner and Matthews, even if it means you overpay for them. That's fine. Because if those guys stay healthy and they're not signed, their numbers, there's an excellent chance it's going to go through the roof. And this isn't hardcore Leaf fan just dreaming of rosters and, oh, who's on what line? This is just looking at the natural progression of players. Matthews and Marner, both going in their third years. Very few players are have scored the way Matthews have at even strength. Hell, I believe I, I, <laughs> the stat, you know, it's been, been droned out so many times, I think I might have forgotten it, but he's number one over the last two years in even strength goals, and he missed 20 games. Marner was the best player for the Maple Leafs in the second half of last year and was the best player in the playoffs against the Boston Bruins. Those two guys, their production is going to go up. Let's start with Austin Matthews. No more JVR. No more Bozak. Those guys were a big part of the first power play unit. They're gone. Austin Matthews, you have to expect, is going to be on the first power play unit. So that's going to increase his numbers. But it goes beyond just that. What happens if Austin Matthews, you know, cranks up into, or excuse me, cracks into the top 70 in ice time among forwards? He was 71st. He's going to score more. That's just the fact. Then also, defenses will not be able to focus on Matthews as much as they did because you've got John Tavares on the second line. You've got Kadri as your third line center. What does that mean? Reduced degree of difficulty. Easier matchups for Austin Matthews. So, let's go back over it. Easier matches, matchups. More ice time. More time on the first power play. If he stays healthy, Matthews is going to get close to 100 points. 
That's going to cost a lot of money. Now let's move over to Mitch Marner. Mitch Marner in ice time among forwards, 153rd. Just over 16, 16 minutes and 23 seconds. So Mitch Marner is, you're going to see a bump up in his time. I don't see how you, he cannot. This will be his third year. Players mature sooner than we think. We think about forwards as 28, 29 is the peak. No, it's closer to 25, 26. Mitch Marner is now going to be on a line with John Tavares. How's that worked out for other guys? Oh, you get paid. Josh Bailey, 71 points this year. Got a six-year extension for around $5 million a season. Matt Molson, back in the day, career-high years, all with John Tavares back in 2011 at 69 points. Then he goes to Buffalo. His final year with the Sabres. Matt Molson plays 81 games and has 21 points. That's part of the Tavares effect. Anders Lee, 62 points. He scored 40 goals. And I thought that Anders Lee is not a good player, and he's growing, and he's getting better, and he's maturing. But how many six-round picks do you know who put up 74 goals over a two-year period? Part of that's opportunity in minutes, and part of that is playing with John Tavares. Well, not Tavares, is with Mitch Marner. And if I may put on my Captain Obvious cap as I look for a deal at a hotel, well, Mitch Marner is a better player than the guys I've mentioned. Mitch Marner had 69 points last year, bouncing around on different lines, not getting a ton of ice time. What if his ice time gets closer to 18? I don't think 18 minutes is a far reach, but that would represent over 90 seconds more per game. That might not seem like a lot, but multiply that by 82. That's opportunities. He'll be closer to an 80-point guy. I don't even think 80 points, if healthy, and that's always a caveat, if healthy. I don't think 80 points is an insane number to throw out there. So as expensive as they may be to sign now, if they're healthy on a Leafs team that has more skill today than they did a year ago, and there's more opportunity for Matthews and Marner, just think of the points they can put up, then think of the leverage they will have, and think of the amount of money they can rightfully demand. If you're Kyle Dubas, if you're Brendan Shanahan, you sign them now, and you overpay them. And it's going to seem like a lot. like Whatever number, anyone right now, Whatever number you have in your mind for these guys, add an extra million. Just throw an extra million on right now. Yep, you might have to say goodbye to Jake Gardner. Yep, it's going to mean you're going to have to find every year another Andreas Janssen. You're going to have to find the other Connor Browns. You're going to have to hope Travis Dermott continues to improve. But that's fine because it's a good problem to have. It's a salary cap world. Eventually, Tampa's going to deal with it as well. At one point, Tampa thought Stamco said 8.5 was a lot of money. The best thing the Leafs have going for them is Tavares left money on the table from either the Islanders or San Jose. Hopefully that can play a part in the negotiations with Nylander, with Martin Matthews. But you sign them now. I would much rather have the conversation, oh boy, I can't believe Matthews and Marner got that much. Because you know what's going to happen at the end of next year if they stay healthy? Oh boy, those deals actually look kind of fair. 
And then two or three years down the road, if the natural progression of these players continue, it's going to be, oh boy, those are good deals. And eventually, whoo-hoo, those are great deals. And remember, everyone listening, when you hear the line, that's a great deal. That's code for that player could easily be getting more money. It might take a couple years, but if you overpay for Matthews and Marner in 2018, by 2022, the way you perceive those deals will be completely different. I promise you that. Rob Longley is going to join us next. We're going to the Blue Jays, but uh, guys behind the glass, because I've been doing so much yammering, I want to play a little sound from the morning show. And listen, let's pull back the curtain. We in this business, sometimes we don't know what the bleep we're talking about. And we often have disagreement. And there's been the big conversation about Jay Happ. Jay Happ pitched over the weekend, did not pitch well against the Yankees. Didn't get out of the third inning. Second start in the row where he failed to even make it to the sixth. And over his last two starts, we all know the stats. His ERAs jumped from 3.62 to 4.44. So then the conversation was, uh uh-oh, has this hurt Happ's trade value? Because he was, in essence, auditioning himself for the New York Yankees, who are chasing the Boston Red Sox, who are the first team to get 60 wins. And right now, the Red Sox... All those All-Stars. Not that the Yankees don't, but the Yankees, as we know, have issues with pitching. So, where is Hap's trade value for New York? First up, let's hear from the morning show today. Here is Steve Phillips. It's a hard sell the fans. And so that initial relationship is challenged and compromised already. Uh, and Sonny Gray has you know, sort of lived through that himself. Uh, one of the guys they're looking to sort of replace there. So it'll be interesting to see. My guess is Yankees have backed off in a pretty significant way. Backed off in a pretty significant way. Woo-hoo-hoo. His trade value is plummeting. Or is it? Because then, just a short three hours later, TSN 1050 Blue Jays reporter Scott Mitchell joined the boys and had this to say. I don't think so in the long run. When you oh. look at, at J-Hap, I mean, teams know what they're – getting into and what they're interested in when it comes to, you know, a 35-year-old lefty. So you have one guy saying, hey, significant drop-off. The other, not so much. I'm not saying one is right or one is wrong. Just sort of pointing out that a lot of times we have no idea what's actually happening. And, of course, the correct answer is that boring one right in the middle. Yeah, these last two starts hurt a little bit. But every time Boston wins, the Yankees get a little more desperate for pitching help. They can't be relying on this group. They're a great group, and man, the Yankees are talented. Five All-Stars, just like the Boston Red Sox. They might have more by the time it all works out for the All-Star game. But Hap is still a very valuable commodity. We're going to talk about that with Rob Longley. is going to join us next from the Toronto Sun from Post Media. We talk all things Blue Jays, including Estrada. His start's getting pushed back. Stroman pitches tomorrow. And all the young talent on the Atlanta Braves, what does that say about when we see Vlad Guerrero Jr.? That's all coming up next on TSN 1050. You're listening to Toronto Today. Bad start for Hap over the weekend. That was probably the most noteworthy news from the Jays who lost the series 2-1 to against the Yankees. But Hap, for the first time in his career at the age of 35, has been named to the All-Star Game. Joining us now, and by the way, I'm Matt Cause. This is Toronto Today, right here on TSN 1050. Joining us now to talk all things baseball and Blue Jays, Rob Longley, Jays columnist from Post Media, and of course, the Toronto Sun. Good morning. Ah, I did good morning. God, I'm used to that. Good afternoon, Rob. How you doing? 
It's morning somewhere, Matt. You know that. It is true. And by the way, good afternoon just sounds clunky. Who says good afternoon, anyone? Yeah, it sounds pretentious. Yeah, you're right. It does. You know what? We need to find a better way, fewer vowels and less pretension about how to greet someone from 1101 until like 6.59 p.m. So we'll hopefully we'll have an answer by that by the end of the segment. Um, Jay Happ, bad start against the Yankees. Steve Phillips said this hurts the trade value. Scott Mitchell um, said it doesn't really hurt the uh, trade value. So if this was like Goldilocks and the Three Bears, we've got the porridge is really hot and the porridge is really cold. How say you, Rob Longley? Well, I, I don't see, Matt, how it can't hurt the trade value. And, and here's why. The Yankees knew what they were looking at long before the, that start on Saturday. But because of that outing, when it comes time to negotiate for them, they can, they can use that as, as, a, as a chip. So, uh, you know, I don't see how it can't hurt a, a little bit. Will it uh, make teams around the American League shy away from him? I don't think so. Will it make the Yankees shy away from him? doubtful because uh, there's no way that they can go into the postseason and, and the drive for uh, for the finish line and in the AL East with Sonny Gray as one of their starters. So I think it's just it just gives the Yankees a, a, an added uh, negotiating ch- uh, chip. So maybe instead of a uh, quadruple A prospect that comes back to Toronto, maybe it's a triple A and a half kind of thing. So, uh, but but really, I mean, if, I, I, I doubt if it diminishes. Uh, uh, the Yankees' interest in Hap because they know what they've, they've seen enough of him over the years, particularly the past three years. They know what, the, what they'd be getting with him, and their hitters hit lefties like like crazy anyway. So yeah, oh it'll yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. It's a good way to look at it. Also, you know what, what I was saying earlier in the show is every time the Red Sox win another game, that also helps the value. For Jay Happ, Boston, I think still two games up on the Yankees. They're number two in all of baseball and run differential. So for the Yankees, and I mean that's the Achilles heel, and they're a damn good team, but it is their rotation. So every time Boston wins, it helps the Jays. I, I agree, Matt. And you know this is shaping up as an incredible race between these two teams, and nobody wants to be in the wild card game in in, uh, in the American League this year because you could be playing the World Series champion. If you're not playing them, you could be playing Seattle. Yeah. So you, I mean, there's so much importance in that American League East race this year, and it's such a great rivalry between those two teams. And I believe they meet on the last week of the season, to, last weekend of the season, to settle it too. So every time the Red Sox win, as you said, uh, there's some added value to what what Jay Happ may bring to the Yankees. From the Toronto Sun, Rob Longley's joining us, and we'll get back to the Blue Jays in a second because they're taking on Atlanta. And the Braves have all this very young talent, 21, 20-year-old guys who are playing, how that relates to Vlad Guerrero Jr. I want to get into that. But, you know, you mentioned it, the Red Sox and Yankees. For baseball fans in Toronto who maybe, you know, let's face it, the Jays aren't going to be, aren't the most relevant team. The Red Sox-Yankees might be the best thing to watch in baseball. Right now, I believe they've got a collective 10 guys going to the All-Star game, a 62-win Boston team, a 58-win Yankee team. This is, in in my opinion, there's nothing better in baseball right now than what's going on between the top of the AL East. Yeah, and that's taking out the the history of it all. These these two teams are such great rivals, and it goes back a half a century and and more. Um, And they do it with style, as you said, uh, both teams like to hit it out of the park. The, the Red Sox were looking a little bit for a replacement uh, last year for Big Poppy, and, and then they got it at J, J.D. Martinez. And, and, you know, I was talking to Jay's general manager, Ross Atkins, about this very thing. 
uh, last week, and it's it's how do you build a team to compete against these two teams over the long haul? And and Atkins said you can't really focus on on acquiring sluggers, but it has to be in the back of your mind because these the way the American League East ballparks are made and the way the competition plays, you have to be able to score runs to to even be close, and and and, and nobody else in the division will be in in sniffing distance of either of these two teams by the end of the year. Oh, yeah, fully agreed. Uh, Again, Rob Longley from the Toronto Sun joining us. So um, the Jays have a day off, and then they take on the Atlanta Braves. And what's interesting for Atlanta, 50 and 39, they're doing far better than I think people expected. And part of it is the youth of the team. You have, you know, at uh, you have Ozzy Albies, who now has 600 at bats. Uh, left fielder Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, playing at left field, who's 20 years old. Ozzy is 21. As I said, was already 600 at bats. I look at Atlanta, and I can't help but think to myself: the moment Vlad Guerrero Jr. is healthy, bring this guy up. Because teams, if a guy's been seasoned for it, there's no reason to protect them at a certain point. You know, first of all, Matt, that was probably one of your better pronunciation efforts right there. That was solid. Okay, okay, hold on a second, hold on a second. Um, uh, uh, Producer Keith Bauer, how did I do on the two names? I'm going to give you a 10 out of 10. There was oh. absolutely nothing wrong with either. The uh, That pre-show work really uh, it really helped out. Rob, I'm going to actually pull the curtain for a second. Right As, as, <laughs> as you were giving your final answer, I was so concentrating on those names. <laughs> I had them written out phonetically. And having you say that, that compliment, and I don't know if you're being sarcastic, but I will not take it as, a, as, a, as, a, as sarcastic. Thank you very much. Not at all. I've heard you butcher a lot of names on the radio, Matt. It took me a year and a half to say Encarnacion, so this was a good day for me. But um, So I appreciate Rob Longley. Um, yeah, your thoughts just on, you know, you look at Atlanta's success with it, and part of it's with a 20 and a 21-year-old, and with the Blue Jays, I don't want to say, they're not babying Vlad Guerrero Jr., but, I mean, so many of us are waiting to see him be brought up after he's healthy. Yeah, look, overall, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of problem with the way that the Jays are handling uh Vlad Guerrero Jr. For one thing, uh, Alex Anthopoulos brought up those two kids, knowing that they would help that team be competitive, and he felt he had enough surrounding that that, that they could be a, a force and a factor in the in the National League East. And he was right because both of those kids have contributed. In Toronto's situation, do you really want to bring Vlad Guerrero up to uh, to be in a locker room that's going to finish 25 games out of first place in the American League East? Is that a good environment for him? to begin his American League, his professional major league career. I don't really think so. It's obviously something that the fans want, and the fans are going to get their, their chance to see him soon enough. Um, but I think they want they want the situation to be right. And, and there's more to it than that. I mean, as much as Vlad Guerrero Jr. is amazing at the way he hits a baseball, I mean, he's exceeded at every level, and he's hit pretty good pitching in, in, in double-A, setting all kinds of records with the Fisher Cats before he got hurt. But they really want him to work on a couple of other things. They want him to work on uh, maturity. He's a 19-year-old, obviously. They want him to work on his defensive game because they want him to come to the major leagues as a third baseman. There's no way they want him to play first base or DH or anything like that. They want him to be agile enough to be able to to play some some infield positioning, and they believe he's capable of doing that. And then the other factor of it is, is conditioning. I mean, He's a kid that's uh, that started training camp this year, almost 270 pounds, and and uh, by midseason he was down in the 240 range, and he was uh, he was adapting nicely to that. He's just a big guy, right? He's not necessarily uh, 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 way, way overweight for his build, but 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 he's sort of still growing into himself as a 19 year old. So I think they 
they wanted to make sure that he matured on every level, both uh, in the ability to be a good teammate, to mature physically, and to be able to, to play defensively. The offense has never been in question since the day they first set eyes on him. So, yeah. um, you know, Jays fans are, are anxious, and then part of the reason for that is it's been such a miserable season, a miserable two seasons, but they're going to get a chance to see him, I would think, as, as early as next year, and maybe even the start of next year. Um, can we continue on the theme of miserable, but go uh, more big picture with the Blue Jays for a second? Sure. One of your colleagues, uh, I think his name is Steve Simmons or Steven. <laughs> I don't know if he uh, uses the full. Um, on his Sunday column, mentioned that Stroman is 27, Aaron Sanchez is 26. These guys aren't kids anymore. They should be in the prime of their careers. Clearly, they are not. And I, I was just thinking about that because you mentioned that uh, you know that Vlad Guerrero Jr. is only 19. Now let's throw into that cocktail of misery that the Yankees and the Red Sox have five All-Stars each, and they've got young All-Stars as well. Glebar Torres, you know, was just named, and he's 21 years old. If you're the Jays, if it's about big picture, about eventually competing against what Boston and New York are creating, isn't part of that maybe thinking about getting rid of of trading Stroman and Sanchez? Because by the time someone like Vlad and Bo Bichette are ready to compete, that could be like four years down the road. Yeah, that's a very good question, Matt, because you, you talk about, you know, you think that those are the two young arms of the future for the Blue Jays, age 25 and age 27. Well, the guy we saw on the weekend for the Yankees, Luis Severino, is 24 right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, and he's and he's one of the best pitchers in the, in the major league. So, uh, it, you know, I think some circumstances have conspired against the Jays in, in the case of those two guys, but you wonder if there's if there'd be any value for a Marcus Stroman right now, and what kind of value? Because, you know, he was he was he had basically set the table to be the clear ace of this pitching staff this season. He had such a good year last year. He was right around three three point zero zero in his, his ERA. Um, was the MVP of the World uh, Baseball Championship, and and he seemed poised to be the that guy, the guy that would come in confident. Uh, and, and having good stuff, and he's been nothing but a dis- disappointment. He had one good start two, two starts ago, his first win of the season, and he declared rather boldly after the game that he was back and that he had his swagger back and this was going to continue for the rest of the season. Well, what does he do with his next start? He poops the bed again. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and thank you for using the technical baseball term of poops and pants again. I mean, again, these advanced analytics, they go over my head, Rob, but I know the stat heads appreciate that. Um, Rob, before we let you go, you can follow Rob Longley at Longley Sun Sport. Um, I was looking at your Twitter account, and you wrote back on Saturday, indifference to action on the field has led to the best Rogers Center wave of the season. Please, Rob, describe to the listeners what constitutes the best wave, baseball wave of the season. Well, I think it's a, a couple of things, really. It's as you, I don't know how how many good waves you've seen in your career, Matt. But you know, I mean, obviously, a wave builds. It takes some time to build. But I think the key to success is when it when it's seen on all levels of the stadium so mm. you know often you'll see the the 100 level be indifferent to it but they were into it as well and you know the 500 level usually carries it but when you have the 300 and the 200 and the 100 involved 
you got yourself a wave. I love it. And you're okay. You're my favorite characteristic, and you're right. When all three levels, you're that is the that is the hallmark. My sneaky favorite thing is when there's a section of the stadium that tries to end it by not doing it, but then the section or two over is like, no, 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 no. Is that how you're going to play it? And then they overcompensate by doing even more of a wave. So there's almost a battle in the stadium between the pro and the anti-wave factions. Yeah. You know, this is great. It's, it's a great thing to see. And, you know, it really is indicative of the Blue Jays season that we're not even at the All-Star break and we're talking about the wave as a highlight. Hey, guess what? We still have about 70 or so more games oh. to go. There'll be more, oh. There will be more hot wave talk and, and more Fisher Cat talk. It's all coming. Yes, it will be. Hey, Rob, thank you so much for joining us, sir. Anytime, Matt. That is, that is Rob Longley from the Toronto Sun. Again, follow the man at Longley Sun Sport. So I want to talk about Lease Busters for a second because this is close to my heart. My girlfriend and her twin sister, they share this really old truck. And the license plate for the truck is actually CARF, C-A-R-F, which rhymes with barf. And that is a perfect description of this car. It kept dying, and now it is finally dead. They are looking for a new car. And I mention that because Leaf Busters, they lease. I think I said Leaf. I get the name of the Atlanta Braves prospects correctly. So well that Rob Longley, who I haven't spoken to in ages, comes on here and compliments me on getting those guys right. Keith, I've screwed up the word lease. Leaf busters? I'm thinking of the Maple Leafs. I'm thinking of the Maple Leafs. So is that what you call the Boston Bruins? Oh, that's a bad... Thank you. (laughs) Let's do this again, shall we? Lease Busters, they will rescue you from your car at lease. Lease Busters, heroic, maybe, helpful, totally. People would love to take over your car lease. My girlfriend and her sister, they're looking. For your lease relief, go to leasebusters.com. That should not have been as hard as it was. That should have been way, way easier. I'm Matthew Cause. This is Toronto Today. Wrap up final thoughts on the Maple Leafs and the World Cup. And also, um, it's not really our poll question, just what we're throwing out there on Twitter. What do you love most about the cottage? And what do you hate the most about those people that have cottages? It's all coming up next, right here on TSN 1050. You're listening to TSN 1050, the Scott MacArthur Show, coming up right after... We're done, and here's how you can tell that Scott MacArthur's coming in. Is produce, producer Keith Bauer is setting up the special Scott MacArthur headphones because of Scott having issues with his back. He's got to stand to do the show. I want to do that one of these days. I want to. I want to do the standing thing. It look, you know, it gives you a different energy. It actually looks like a, a lot of fun, you know, minus of course the back problem. No, and I'll say this, like, do you know, I did a couple of the shows with Scotty last week as he was standing, and I just, it feels like he's a lot more into it. There is a lot yeah. more energy, you know, with, with every hot take he's firing out there. Yeah. The body's moving, hips are thrusting. Like, yeah. it's, I feel like it's a lot easier to get behind a point, behind an argument when mm-hmm. you're standing up. Listen, you know what? When you're hip thrusting, always be behind the point. And then, of course, after that overdrive, Dave Festchuk will be joining Brian Hayes and Festchuk in his most recent column in the Toronto Star talking all about the World Cup and a lot about the shootouts and the science behind it. And listen, we've seen shootouts play such a big part. Croatia defeating Russia because of that. Russia earlier eliminating Spain on penalty shootouts. And a reminder that the two matches, the semifinals, when, or Tuesday and Wednesday, start at 2 p.m. 
with Gareth Wheeler joining you at 11:30 or excuse me 1:30 with the pregame and he'll get you they'll get you set for the two semifinals France and Belgium on Tuesday and of course England Croatia on Wednesday and I think the talent might be in France versus Belgium but the England Croatia one feels like the bigger story even though most people agree that France of the four teams left are the favorite to win it all but the story of England, that's the one that has got everyone's attention. They haven't been this far since 1990. They haven't won it all since 1966. You know, the, the, the Wayne Rooney's and David Beckham's of the world could never do what's happening right now to the second youngest team in the tournament. And yes, England had the easier route. And yes, their strategy to lose to Belgium at the end of the group stage has absolutely paid off. But they are here now. And if they beat Croatia, the conversation about the easier path, that'll start to go away a little bit. And then who doesn't want on Sunday? I mean, I think we're all... I shouldn't say that, because a lot of people that are from Belgium, we're in for Belgium or Croatia, you know, then you have your own opinion. Me, as someone without a dog in this race, I want France, England, just... You know, the symmetry of that, the historicalness of that, that is sort of what I am rooting for. I think that's the best story because it's the best team versus the most interesting story. And in any tournament, that's kind of what you want. Any tournament in any sport, you at least want at least one of the best teams in there. Cinderella's are great early. In any playoff run, they stink at the end. I'm glad Duke beat Butler about four, five, six years ago, I think it was. Wow, has it been that long? In the finals of the NCAA. If you're going to watch an entire regular season, you might as well have the best team being represented at the end. It kind of justifies all the time and energy that you spent watching that regular season. So that will be coming up tomorrow and Wednesday. Also, the Argonauts, Friday night, 9 o'clock against Edmonton. And at some point down the road, we'll go back on the conversation of the most unique problem in this city, in terms of sports. And that's how do you, and it's not about crazy sellouts, but how do you make the Argonauts more relevant? Because there's almost no better place to watch a live sporting event than BMO, especially on a nice night. You watch the sunset over the city, and then you got the lake, and you got to get the pinks and the blues. You got the sky there, gorgeous. We'll get into that one day, but the Argonauts beat Edmonton over the weekend. James Franklin, he gets his first win as a Toronto Argonaut. He is a young, exciting quarterback. And he's a guy, once you get to know him, he is easy to root for. Two great cups for the Argonauts over the last six years. Great management, a good team, some issues at receiver. But the Argonauts are going to consistently will provide a winning product which is more than you can say for the Toronto Blue Jays. The big story with the Jays, of course, is going to be all about Jay Happ. Congrats to Happ at 35 years old. He's been named an all-star. And that is fantastic for him at this age. Well-deserved. And now we're just waiting to see when he pitches in the all-star game or appears in the all-star game Will he be there as a member of the Blue Jays, or will he be there as a member of the New York Yankees? Some final thoughts on our poll question. 
which is a simple one. What do you like most and least about cottages? What do you like most about them, or what do you hate about people who own one and you don't? Mike, or, uh, Bike Mabcock writes in, the people who call them camps, absolutely, do not call your cottage a camp. Daniel writes in, best thing, barbecue and beer. Worst thing, uncomfortable beds and mildew. I'll throw into that the mosquitoes. That is never fun as well. Um, Guys, behind the glass, thank you so much. This has been fun. Always love filling in. I'm Matt Cause. This has been Toronto Today. Scott MacArthur coming up next right here on TSN 1050.